Good morning. So in this new series we're starting this week, I want to uh, just make sure you're aware of something, that there's another opportunity available to you to study along as we proceed in First Peter. There is a class that happens at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning, and it is open to everyone. Uh, it meets in room 7, and we would love to... Uh, have room seven get too crowded and we have to maybe move it out of room seven, but it would be great to have uh, more folks joining the class. It's taught by Pastor Dan or on the Sundays when um, Pastor Dan is preaching, it's taught by uh, Don Cunningham or myself. And that's basically the list for Jim Fletcher is going to be doing one week. So um, just be aware that the class is going to follow along at the, basically the same time as all the passages on Sunday mornings. It's uh, integrated that way. So this series is going to carry us through about the middle of June, the, the epistle of 1 Peter. And in order to be faithful to the theme of this letter, we've entitled the series, Faith Under Pressure. And I just want to say that Rachel makes these slides. I don't know how she does it, but it's amazing. So it's nice to have it's nice to have something to kind of focus on. I'd like to make some introductory statements, uh, comments to set the context of First Peter for our series. First of all, this epistle is thought to have been written from Rome while Peter the apostle was under arrest. It's always good to note that scholars debate, they always debate about the authorship of and the orig origin of biblical documents. And uh, these are ancient documents. This is 2,000 years ago. So there is some question as to really whose pen um, some of these documents came from. But the early witnesses, there's, there are good early witnesses to Peter's authorship of this epistle, namely Clement of Rome, Polycarp, Papias, and others, all of whom lived and wrote in the first and second centuries. So they're fairly close to the time that First Peter was written, and they're saying, "Yeah, this was this has the flavor of Peter the Apostle." So it's thought that this, we're we're fairly certain that it was written by Peter the Apostle. The letter is addressed to fledgling churches in the area we would call modern-day Turkey. So in the letter's salutation, the very beginning, the writer refers to them as, those who are receiving the letter, as exiles. Not because they've been forced to live far from home, but because they have, in effect, a dual citizenship. They're citizens of their local communities in the Roman Empire, the communities are, are named at the beginning of this letter, Pontus, Galatia, Bithynia, etc. But they're also citizens of another kingdom, the kingdom of God. A new world that is soon to be revealed in the words of verse 5. So, dual citizenship. Potentially, dual citizenship is a good thing. Some of you may have dual citizenship. I know there's a couple on the back that, that does. I often think of you guys when I think of having being citizens of the U.S. and of Canada at the same time. And it's, you know, you could potentially have options if you 
have dual citizenship. I mean, if things get dicey in one country, you can just cross the border for a while and things may get better. But this is not necessarily the case when your citizenship spans an earthly kingdom and a heavenly one. This is why Peter uses the word exiles here to address his readers, because there's a sense that they may live in one kingdom here, but they belong to another. Not only that, but the kingdom in which they live may make demands upon them that do not fit with their allegiances to the kingdom to which they belong. And there is the pressure. The heavenly kingdom is lived in by faith. And the earthly kingdom brings with it norms and values that suggest how you will live and act. Often in ways not based on faith. So there's the rub. This series, this spring in 1 Peter, will come back to this point over and over again. How do we live our lives of faith in this time and place? How then shall we live? While in, in 2018 here in North America, um, it's maybe unlike any other time in history, and I think we're aware of those things that make this a very unique time with unique problems and challenges, the teachings of 1 Peter are timeless in how they can guide disciples of Jesus to be true to who they are in Christ. And there is really one of our main themes for this spring, knowing who you are as a disciple and then living it out even in this pressurized environment. I love the first song we sang this morning because over and over again it says, this is who I am, this is who I am. We need that reminder of how we are loved and redeemed by God. There's a great deal of interest these days in the the last maybe year and a half to two years on this subject of who you are. Have you noticed it? Apparently over 7 million people have requested DNA tests since Ancestry.com started the service. 7 million. And this does not even include the uh, other companies doing similar business, and you've seen them on TV or advertisements, 23andMe, MyHeritage.com, LivingDNA, Vitagen, GPS Origins, they're all doing similar things. You do a swab, send your DNA, and then they'll tell you something about your DNA. Now, granted, some of this is uh, this interest is fueled by a desire to discern potential risks of genetic predispositions to disease, which is a good thing. But much of what I'm hearing, especially in the advertising, is something else. It's this question. Who am I? Really? Where did my ancestors come from? What effect does that have on my life? In other words, in the, in the words of a recent Ancestry.com commercial, I just heard this last night. Dear foremothers, your society was led by a woman who governed thousands, commanded armies, and yielded to no one. When I found you in my DNA, I found where my strength comes from. Really? 
Unfortunately, while getting hints of your DNA makeup may be interesting, it will not necessarily help you be strong. It will not answer the toughest questions that life will bring your way, knowing your DNA. For that, you need knowledge of more than your DNA. You need to know the God who created your DNA. The God who created and redeemed you. So the message of 1 Peter will will take us much deeper into the question of how then shall we live? Deeper than a DNA test ever could. So in our opening text this morning, Peter places a foundational plank in the platform he's going to build. He speaks of a gift that we have received. It's this gift of salvation in, in, through Jesus Christ. It's the gift that was foretold by Old Testament prophets, he says. A gift so precious that even the angels of heaven long to look at it, it says in verse 9. The gift of salvation. It's that precious. It's this gift that will, that will ultimately give us the strength to live as exiles, to live faithfully under pressure. So Peter says in verses 13 through 16 that we need to prepare ourselves. Living in two kingdoms at once is not easy. It'll take discipline. But here's the goal. Holiness. Peter says it this way. The one who has called you is holy. Be holy in all your conduct. So here's one way to think about this. There's an analogy from N.T. Wright, biblical scholar. He says this. Let's say you're in the habit of visiting secondhand stores and antique dealers. And you're looking for a specific kind of piece. Finally, one day, you saw it. It was buried under several other items in old books and bottles and, and plates. And, but there it was, a bowl about eight inches across. And it's covered with, with dirt and, and grime. It still contains some of the residue of what it last held, apparently some cut flowers. And it had a crack on one side. But you noticed something about it. And carefully, you disguised your true interest in the bowl as you nonchalantly offered the shop owner just a few dollars for it, which, to your delight, was accepted. So you take the bowl home, and you begin to clean it. And you find that your suspicions were accurate. The markings on the bottom show that the manufacturer of the bowl is one of the makers of the most valuable bone china in the world. And because of your skill as an appreciator of fine china, you're capable of mending the crack in the side so that no one will ever see it again. You're able to clean the piece so that the, the colors and the details come back and, the, and it's just like new. When you finish your work, you, you place it in a place of honor in your home where it will hold three gorgeous ornamental eggs showing them off 
to perfect effect. Now, let's say the original owner of the bowl showed up back at the junk store and wanted the bowl back because he wanted to use it again to hold cut flowers. He says, where's my bowl? Well, the owner of the store would say, no, no, the, the bowl has been purchased and it's cleaned inside and out, giving it a whole new use. A use for which it was truly and originally suited. It would be an insult. It would be an injustice to have it simply hold some dirty cut flowers. The point is, is that we are like that bull. At the center of this analogy is the fact that your life, my life, has a purpose, a beautiful purpose. When Peter says that we're redeemed, this is what he has in mind. When he says, be holy, he's not suggesting that we walk around with halos over our head or act in some kind of heavenly way. He's not suggesting that we aspire to holding to some kind of strict moral code. No, it has also to do with the meaning of holiness suggested here by the Greek word hagias, which is used here in, in verses 2 and verse 16, 15 and verse 16 of our text. The word means literally separate or marked off in the sense of being to put to use, a special use. Be holy. All this to say that when your faith is under pressure, remember, you are here for a reason. So when you sense that you're in exile in a strange land, the answer is not to impose some kind of external code upon yourself to measure up, but, but rather to know this. God has something in mind for you. When Peter says, be holy, he's saying, live in to that purpose God has for you. Now, the, the challenge here is that so much of the time we think about our lives in a different way. Instead of considering our purpose, what God has created us for, we tend to kind of go from day to day, you know, work, leisure, work and leisure. We never really think about the fact that we've been redeemed. Taken from a junk heap and given a purpose, a calling. We tend to forget that. Instead, we have this mundane sense of, uh, you know, work, and then there's time off. Work and time off. We're, we're, we endure the work so we can have time off. And then for those maybe in their retirement years, there's a temptation to think about life in a way that never ever considers what God's purpose for this season means, the season you're living in right now. The temptation is to see retirement years um, as disengagement. I earned this. It's my time. Really? 
the point is, to be holy is to think about life not in terms of what you can get out of it, but what you can give to it. What God is calling you to give. This puts a different spin for me on be holy as I am holy. Folks, God is always working. Always. So you and I ought to stay awake how we are called to participate in what God is doing. Is this easy? No, it's not easy. Especially in this culture of a self-centered, pleasure-seeking materialism. This is not an easy thing. But it's the best. It's the best way to live. So with this in mind for this spring, I'd like to read the end of our passage one more time. Listen maybe with new ears this morning from verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Well, God, I pray that you would get our attention this spring. For those of us, Lord, who tend to fall into the rhythms of living this life of work and leisure and really never think about it, I pray that you would bring reminders into our lives of who we really are, what it means for us to be redeemed. Father, we ask that this call to holiness today would be more than just something we think about in church on Sunday, but that it would carry with us into this afternoon and into this whole week of opportunity to participate with you of what you're doing in the world. Lord, you are seeking to restore seeking to reconcile, seeking to undo the, the effects of, of evil and sin in our world. Lord, I want to be a part of that. I pray, Father, that you would allow all of us to be re just remembering who we are as we go through this day and this week. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yes, the ushers to wait on us for the morning offering. May God bless you as you worship God in giving. Amen.